1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. The normal Christian life is to obey God, obey the truth, and to love the brethren. Verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which, which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This is the word of God. Please be seated. The normal Christian life, you know, there's a normal Christian life that is expected from each one of us, each one of us. Now, the theme of, of 1 Peter is strength and comfort and suffering. Strength and comfort and suffering is repeated over and over and over in 1 Peter. Remember Peter's audience. They're under Nero persecution. They're being killed. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their families. They've lost everything. And Peter is tell, telling them to endure this, to to be built up during this, to be strengthened during the suffering. They've lost everything. Last week, we talked about Peter, under, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave keys to overcoming the, the, the world's contamination. We live in a world that is, remember, it was a spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, and it's a world of con contaminated thoughts that are coming at us 24-7, over and over and over. And I, as I've said many times, this is the most over-informed generation that's ever lived. I mean, we have information coming at us 24-7, and it's negative. It's negative. It's anti-God, anti-biblical, the vast majority of it. So you're being indoctrinated into a worldview that is very contrary to God, very contrary. So overcoming the world's contamination, the cesspool of the world, we gave keys. Now, key number one last time was believers are to de determine in your heart, determine in your soul, determine in your inner being not to be corrupted by the society that you are immersed in. And we use verse 13, gird up the loins of your mind. Remember, they wore, they wore robes. In order to move quickly, they had to gird them up, made them like trousers so you can move quickly. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be a Daniel, and we emphasize Daniel 1.8, that Daniel determined in his heart not to defile himself with the king's, king's delicacies. He determined beforehand, and that's what has to happen in the culture today. Determine beforehand that you aren't going to be overwhelmed by the information and turn towards the ideas of the culture. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be a Daniel. 24-7, again, contrary worldviews are coming at us, and we must determine to be different, and we have to do that ahead of time, not to blend, not to pretend, not to compromise but to be different than the culture. God has placed us here as lights, and he has placed us here as his ambassadors. We are representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a huge job to do, folks. We have to tell people the truth of who Jesus is. They're being, they're being brainwashed, brainwashed on a continual basis. Now, how do we protect our minds? How do we protect our hearts from the onslaught? Well, that was key number two. We had to prepare for action. Nobody goes out in the field unless they've prepared. 
There's no army unit that goes out unless they're prepared. There's no marine unit that goes out unless they're prepared. And we are the army of God, and we must be prepared. Well, how do we do that? Well, it was very easy. Remember, it's a mind war. It's a mind war. It's a battle for the mind. And the scripture told us in verse 13, we are to keep sober. That could have all kinds of applications, but in this over-substanced culture, we could apply sobriety to staying away from substances. But it actually has to do with mental alertness, clear-headedness, how to know the truth, and how to be set free by the truth. Remember John chapter 8, verse 30, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free, free at last. You must know the truth. Indeed, you should know the truth, and the truth will make you free. For Remember, and then we talked about Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda czar in World War II, and how they successfully indoctrinated a whole nation to hating Jews and killing Jews, and how that methodology has been transferred into our culture today, where the government has bought into it, the workplace has bought into it, the educational system has bought into it, the spirit of the age is permeating all of those entities, and with that information coming out and supported by the government, the culture is being indoctrinated into a false worldview. Indoctrination. And remember, for the indoctrination to occur, Joseph Goebbels was very specific. You have to repress the truth. And what is happening in our culture today? The truth is being repressed. We've taken God out of our culture. We've taken the Ten Commandments out of our culture. We have undermined the value of the Word of God. Undermined the value of the Word of God. That is the truth. That is the truth. God's Word is truth. And then what key number three is, we have to, again, protect our mind from the contamination. And how do we do that? Well, we're in God's Word. We want to know the truth to be set free. But in, in verse 15 last, last time, we saw, Be holy as I am holy. Be set apart unto God. That is what he's saying about be part, set apart unto God. And if we're set apart unto God, we have to be separated from the world's philosophies. And remember, we talked about Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human traditions and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. There's a philosophy that, that, that is permeating our culture, and it's humanism. Be holy as I am holy. And remember that holiness was a process. It doesn't, you just don't wake up one day and say, okay, I'm holy. Remember, it's sanctification. It's a process as we yield to the Spirit of God. We spend time in His Word. We spend time in prayer. We spend time with His people. It's a process that we're being conformed to the likeness of Christ. And as a goal that we are followers, God always calls people to follow Him. He never calls people to be a fan, to be a cheerleader from a distance. He always calls them to be followers, to be, be intimate with him, not blenders and pretenders. And what the world must see is more of the new you and less of the old you. That is the goal. Remember Philippians 1.27, we spoke these words, whatever happens, whatever happens in your life, no matter, good, bad, ugly, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. There's an expectation of us, folks. God has an expectation of, uh, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Remember, how do we counter the spirit of the age? The truth. The truth. We must know the truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth, John 17, 17. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. And the world hates the message and calls us bigoted and intolerant when in fact it is open and it's embracing. And Jesus says, come, come, come. That is his message to the world. And we know that the Holy Spirit is truth in John 14, 17. Protect your mind. Know the truth. You must, and I emphasize this just about weekly, you must spend time daily in God's Word. We are, it's too much information coming at us from a, from a negative point of view. Too much contrary information. You must know the truth to be set free. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That is what we want. We want the truth. Now that we, that we know how to overcome the world's contamination, this week we're going to transition in what is the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is to obey God, obey the truth, and love the brethren. Simple. Simple. Easy to say, harder to walk out. Let's talk about how we're going to walk that out today. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, please speak to us truth. We need to hear from you. I ask that you would speak your truth through me and that there be receptive hearts to hear your word. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. A word that has become devalued in our culture is the word obey. You, you agree? I mean, obey. That's almost like a curse word, obey. It's, it's tantamount to weakness. We're losing our individuality if I'm going to obey. And this has permeated every part of our culture. The, the, the attitude is, I am the captain of my ship. I am the one that controls my life. Invictus. There's Invictus games in Europe. Invictus, that, that poem, Ernest Henley's poem, and uh, you know where the, where the human is extolled, and and the human is has the answers to all the problems on earth. His fourth verse says this: It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And humanity goes yes, and God says lie, because God is sovereign. He's the one that is in charge. Just ask Nebuchadnezzar who's in charge. He found out right quick who's in charge, and it's not us. Now, we see this not obeying attitude all through our culture. It's in our workplace. It's in our schools. It's in our homes and families. It's really in our children. And yes, it's even in the church. Scripture says that we should obey God and his word. Obedience and mutual submission is, is all through Scripture. Hebrews chapter 13, 7 says this, Obey those who rule over you. Even within the church, this is a problem. It's talking about elders. It's talking about elders. Those with proven faith and conduct. Hopefully the elders have proven to you their faith and the conduct. Those are the ones you're supposed to over obey. In Colossians 3.22, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters, in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Now, this bond servant is the employer-employee type relationship. So the employee is to, is, to, is to be a reliable employee, is to do what they're supposed to do at their job, to obey the rules of the company. That is stretched all the time. And how about this one, Colossians 3.20, children obey your parents. I'm, is there a breakdown in that in the family? I would say there is. And it has permeated all of our culture, all of our culture. 
Now think about the military. Boot camps are designed are designed to put obey back in the recruits' vocabulary. Obey has been devalued. Until you have a Marine drill instructor screaming in your face, in about three seconds you know that this is not your mama's world anymore. These things have changed, and you better shape up or ship out. Obey has been devalued in our culture. Another word that has been devalued, and I think you'll agree with me, is the word love. So we're talking about obey God and, and obey the truth and to love the brethren. Well, love has been devalued also. How many times have you heard love used? I love pizza. I love the tigers. I love the wings. I love the lions. I mean, if you love the lions, man, you are dedicated. I love the lions. I love my dog. I love my family. Even I love Jesus. And even the Beatles got into it. What do they see? All we need is love. Even the Beatles got into it. A little girl got into it, and this question was asked of her. A little girl who was invited to dinner at her friend's home. The vegetable was buttered broccoli. Now, I don't know how many kids love broccoli, but the mother asked this girl this question. You love broccoli? And she says, yes, I love it. But when the broccoli was passed by, she declined to take any. The hostess said, I thought you said you love buttered broccoli. The, gr the girl replied sweetly, oh, yes, ma'am, I do. But I don't eat it. I don't like it enough to eat it. Not enough to take it in. Peter brings these two points to the forefront of obeying and loving. The normal Christian life, and I want to emphasize this, the normal, the normal Christian life. This isn't the hyper-Christian. This isn't the super-duper, over-the-top Christian. I'm talking about everyone born of the Spirit has this expectation. The normal Christian life involves obeying and loving. If you truly love the Lord Jesus, you will obey his commands. How do I know that? The Bible tells me so. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 1 John 5, 3. For this is love for God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is obeying God. This is obeying Jesus. This is obeying what he taught. That is normal Christianity. This is not extreme Christianity. Love is more than a word or a feeling. Love is action, and love must be demonstrated. You know how I know? Because we see Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, what did Jesus do? Christ died for us. That was an amazing love sacrifice, that God would come here in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ, and die for our sins, the second person of the Trinity. The normal Christian life is obeying the truth and loving the brethren. Verse 22, nothing strange, nothing unusual that I'm going to be saying. This is an expectation of all Christians. The normal Christian life involves obeying the truth. Verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, how do you obey it? Through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, obeying the truth. And in, if you have a King James or a New King James, you'll be, you will see through the Spirit. But if you have an, an NIV or a New American Standard, that in the Spirit is not there. But I like in the Spirit. I, I, think, it's, I think it's good because we obey through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So how does this obeying the truth look? Well, it says purify your soul. Purify your soul. Seven times. Seven times we see this in Scripture. 
Purified souls refers to the pure life, the pure life that should follow the believer. The pure life is a process. It is a process. It starts at salvation and continues all through our lives until we're finally in heaven and glorified. Glorification is a state of perfection. It doesn't happen here, but it will happen there. But we're in a process of transformation, a process of transformation. Now, what does the pure life produce? Well, it produces a changed you. It produces a changed you. And what does a changed you look like? Love. Love for the brethren. And love for the brethren, let me say this, demonstrates that you're growing. If you have a desire to be in fellowship, if you love being together, that is growth, because most people don't want to take the time to be together. They don't want to take time to pour in to one another. And I will say this, there's a great tendency in our country today and for, for, for Christians to remain isolated. For Christians to say, I can get all I need from God from watching somebody on TV, watching YouTube, going to the church of the boat, and I can do my meditation while I'm fishing and that sort of thing. And that is not what the church is, is about. That's good to do that. It's okay to do that, but that cannot replace being together. Isolated Christians are, are not fulfilling the, the, the commands of God. And we are to love. What is this love? Well, it's Philadelphia love. It's brotherly love. The love that Christians have for one another. And listen to this. It's a love out of a, uh, out of a common spiritual life. And the key, key word here is common spiritual life. How can you have a common spiritual life if you're isolated from the body? You can't. You can't. Body life is together life. It is together life. It implies being together, not isolated, not doing my own thing, not going to the church of me, myself, and I. Okay? It's not scriptural. Hebrews 10.25 says this, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, and even more as you see the day approaching. Even more as you see things unraveling in your world. Even more as you become stranger to the world. We need each other's support. We need one another. It's, it's, a, it's desperate. It really is. The Western church focus is inward, not outward. Now, when I say inward, I'm talking about self-centered. It is self-centered. It is an inward focus. It's either isolated, no commitment, or people get involved in mega churches. Now, I don't want to degrade mega churches, and there's great teaching that goes in in many of them, but the motivation of so many people is to get involved in a giant church. So all I have to do is waltz in and then watch the performance, because most of it is performance-oriented. Watch the performance, and then when the bell rings and the guy goes, it's done, out. No commonality, no community, no life together. Hiding Christians, that is not what the Bible talks about with Christianity. It's not about all about what I get. It's about what I give. The church today wants to receive, 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 receive. That's the common thing that we see. It is so inbred. But the Holy Spirit's view is quite different. The Holy Spirit's view is quite different. All believers are to be involved. Everyone born again of the Spirit has been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ have accepted his death in their place, has been given a great treasure, a spiritual gift. And that gift is to be used within the body. It's to be used in the body to minister to one another, 
The focus is outward, not inward. But the great thing about spiritual gifts is I have a spiritual gift that I give to, to you, and then all the people's spiritual gifts come back where? It's a, one of these great deals in Christianity where you give a little and you get tons input from everybody else. It's a, it's, it is a great thing that God has done here. It is to edify and build up the church. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, As each of you has received a gift, minister it to one another. That is a command. That is an, it's written in the imperative. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's not an option. We are given a spiritual gift to minister, to pour in to other people. These are grace gifts to build up the body of Christ. Now, the question is this. We have been indoctrinated to a method of church and worship in the Western world that, that is different. And there has to be a transformed way that we think. So how can I transfer from an inward focus to an outward focus? How can I make this transition? Well, number one, obey the truth of the word. God's word, obey the truth. Secondly, and I think this is an imperative too, and I know it's an imperative in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't do this by just saying, okay, I, I, I'm going to be transformed. I'm going to be different. It has to be a power outside of you that, that facilitates this. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the principle is this. We work out of the overflow of the Spirit. Now, how do I know that? Am I, is this just Christianese? Is this just some verbiage that I'm making up? Well, Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 says this. And do not be drunk with wine. You know what that means? Do not allow your flesh to rule you. Do not allow your flesh to rule you, in which is dissipation or disorderliness, but contrast, be filled with the Spirit. Palero. Remember, it was crammed full, overflowing, resulting in this speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. Now, that's love. That's love. The Spirit of God facilitates us loving outward speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing melody in your heart to the Lord. It's a love for God, and it's a love for people. Giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And watch this, submitting to one another in the fear of God. The filling of the Holy Spirit facilitates mutual submission. There's no kings. There's no kings. We're in this thing together to edify, to build up. Who's the king? Christ is the king. It's his church. It's his church. He's the one in charge. The filling of the Holy Spirit means you're controlled by the Spirit. It's not by the flesh cravings. It's not me-centered. It is the God-centered life. That's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. I will summarize that in just a few seconds. Now, Jesus said these words, interesting words, in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. Now, the setting here is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is the last feast, the seventh feast on the Jewish calendar. And it's a festive feast. It's a seven-day feast with an eight-day added. And they have water-pouring ceremonies, and they have lights and that sort of thing. It's where, in John 8, 12, he's talking about being the light of the world. And he's got these great big menorah with lights, and he's saying, that's me, I'm the light of the world. Well, here he's talking about water-pouring. And watch what he says here. On the last day, that great day of the feast, where it culminates, the the Feast of Tabernacles is ushering the kingdom of God. That's what it's symbolic of. And Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, 
let him come to me and drink. So you got all these people at this feast, and Jesus stands up in the middle of it and says, if anyone, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now you hear that, rivers of living water, not a trickle of living water, not a stream of living water, not a mud puddle of living water. It is a rivers of living water. But he spoke this concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But when he left, he released the Holy Spirit, John 14. And that's why the Spirit of God indwells each one of us. And out of us can flow rivers of living water. We, we work out of the overflow. If you're on E, you have nothing to give. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit to effectively minister. Now, summary of the filling of the Holy Spirit. First of all, being filled with the Holy Spirit means controlled by the Holy Spirit. It means it's consensual. I must desire to be filled. It's consensual. It is a command, but it's consensual. It's I have to cooperate with God. The filling is again commanded, and the Christian life is done out of the overflow of the Spirit. We first must be filled before we can pour out. That is an absolute principle. This, let me tell you, this is the normal Christian life. This is not the abnormal. This is not the super-duper hyper-Christian. This is the normal Christian life, to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be speaking to one another, singing praises to God. It's not something strange. It's not extreme and weird. This is the normal. In verse 23 through 25, the normal Christian life starts, it has a starting point. It starts with being born again. Now, we use these words in Christendom. There's a whole vocabulary that you get when you become a Christian. Born again, redeemed, saved, regenerated. And you're going, what is all this stuff? Well, Jesus was talking about being born again. 23 through 25, and then we'll talk about Jesus. Having been born again, oh, watch this, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. How? Through the word of God. Through the word of God. Now, let me just pause here for just a second. Do you think that there's any strategy that the enemy has to get the word of God away from the people? You go to the majority of churches, and you watch how many people will have the word of God. All of them will say they have the Word of God on their phone, and some of them do. Some of you guys are techno-savvy, and you have it on your phone, and that's cool, that's good, and all that stuff. But a lot of people, they don't carry the Word of God with them because it's not taught. It's not taught. You're born through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, how long does the Word of God last? Forever. Now, watch the contrast here. Because all flesh is as grass. What does that mean? We're fading. We're fading. And all the glory of man is as the flower of the grass. It's fading. The grass withers. Its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures. How long? Forever. Forever. Now, this is the word which, which by the gospel was preached to you. Now, God uses his word. He uses the Holy Spirit and his word to bring people into the family of God. See, if you take the word away... If you take the word away, how will they know? We'll go to that verse in, in Romans in just a second. How will they know? 
So born again, all this vernacular, we have to know what it means. Jesus said this in John chapter 3. Every, just about everybody's familiar with this, but we'll just go through it. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a, he's a big wig in the Pharisees. And he says to Jesus, I know that, you, that, that you're something special, Jesus, because no one could do these things unless they were sent from God. He's flattering. He's flattering Jesus. You know what Jesus does? He doesn't even pay attention to what Nicodemus is saying. He, Nicodemus is spewing out his religious speech, and Jesus says these words. Jesus is great. I, you ever wish you could just be like Jesus and just know exactly what to say at the, at the moment instead of three hours later and saying, I wish I would have said that. Well, Jesus knew that all the time, what to say. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus, being a Pharisee, thought that he was in. He was in. Nicodemus is now reeling, and he says to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Good question. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of the water. Now, look, when you do a word study on this, there's umpteen different things that this can mean. It can mean a natural birth. Can it, mean, it can mean cleansing rituals in the Old Testament. It can mean the Holy Spirit being poured out as water. I think it means a natural birth. I think it's referring to that, but you can decide what you want on that. Uh, so any, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, that's the important thing, to be born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, now hear that word. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again of the Spirit. Now, when you think about what I just quoted in our apologetics minute time, and the whole world views us as strange because we're saying that the only way that you can get into the kingdom of God is through the Lord Jesus. Can you see the tension here? Can you understand why the world is tense with Christians? Because we have the absolute truth, and they think they have the truth, and they're in conflict with one another. The problem is, listen to this, if you're a Christian, you're not trying to kill them. But if you are a Christian in their country, they're trying to do what to you? They'll try to kill you. If you go to India, it's becoming more oppressive. There's a billion Hindus there. And they aren't friendly to Christians. There's churches that are established there, but they are under a lot of persecution. You go to a Muslim-controlled country, you can't have a Bible. There's no evenness there, like there is here with, with freedom of religion. They want to kill you. And the whole thing about Islam is to spread it forcefully. If they get in charge, believe me, you will die for your faith. That's what will happen. It's a big difference between Christianity. You must be born again. It's the only way. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. Now, watch this. The born again is referring to a person who was dead in their trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2.1. Separated from God, dead, no life, separated from God, living under Satan's control. Now, everyone born into this world is born into the kingdom of darkness, kingdom of darkness. They have to be extracted from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and it's only through Jesus. It doesn't happen through any other person or any other way. So, 
We're, we're dead in our trespasses and skins. Everybody separated from God, living under Satan's control, a member of Satan's kingdom, destined for hell. At the, it's sad. At the moment of believing and receiving the free gift of salvation, Ephesians 2.8, salvation is a gift. It's free. You're born again of the Spirit and given eternal life. A person who is dead in their trespasses, separated from God, headed for hell, at the point of salvation, becomes alive, and Jesus says, he calls it what? Born again. I mean, that's a great word. Born again. Birthed. Now you have life. Now you have life. You know what your destiny is now? Heaven. Heaven. Eternity with God. What a deal. What a deal. Now can you see why there is an all-out assault on the Word of God? And you're born through the Word of God. He uses the Word of God in, in, in the new birth processes through the Word of God. And remember, there's an all-out assault on this Word, an all-out assault on it. Satan hates the Word. Any culture that becomes dominant, that is non-Christian, tries to get the Word out of it. Like I say, in an Islamic country, get the word out of it. You go to a Hindu country, they don't want the word there. In America, what has happened to the word? Take the word out of the mainstream, and you can have it in little sections. You can have it in your basement. You stay sequestered in little places, you can have the word of God. But, oh, don't put it out in the culture. Don't do that. Satan hates the word of God. Why? Because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Remember what Jesus said about him? You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks, he, he speaks lies. He is the father of lies. That's who Satan is. He wants to take the word out of the culture. Now, I'll tell you, he's been very successful doing it subliminally in this country. Look at all else will fade away. Everything else will fade away. The flesh is as grass, fade away. The glory of man, like the flower of grass, fade away. The grass withers, the flower falls away. Oh, but the Lord, word of the Lord endures forever. He says it twice. He says it in verse 23, and he says it again in verse 25. The word of the Lord endures forever. It will never be taken away, no matter how many times they try to burn the Bibles. It will never be taken away. It endures forever. It's God's absolute truth, and it's a foundation for our faith. And if it's our foundation for our faith, what must we do with the Word? What must we do? You must have spread the Word. Read the Word. Know the Word, and then tell everybody about the Word. That's what we do. Everything else will fade away. And verse 25b says this, Now this is the Word which by the gospel was preached to you. This word must be given to other people. The word being preached is essential. The word being preached is, the word being preached is essential. Absolutely essential. Romans chapter 10. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this. 10.14 How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, a preacher, a heralder of truth? How shall they preach? How, they, how shall they herald truth unless they are sent? As it is written, 
Now watch how God views his word. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel of peace, beautiful to the eyes of God and awful to Satan and, and most of the world until God takes the blinders off their eyes and allows them to see. And the miracle of salvation comes into somebody's life. God's word, his truth, is essential if we are going to resist the attacks of the culture. If we are going to resist the mind melt that is going on in the culture. To take us away from the true God. And, and uh, there's a word play here. It says here in 25, he's using the rhema of God, the spoken word of God, the individual verses and that sort of thing. The things that you need to memorize. That you, that you, the word of God is a sword of the spirit. And when you get into spiritual warfare, you have some memorized scripture that you can use as a sword of the spirit. Then he talks about now this is the word by which the gospel, he's talking about the logos of word. You know what the Logos is? That's the supreme wisdom of God. That's the supreme intelligence of God. The supreme knowledge of God housed in Jesus. What does it say in John 1? 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The supreme intelligence and knowledge of God is encapsulated in Jesus. He is the Word. Now, Sunday mornings, we give a message. Some ears are attentive. Some hearts are soft and receiving, some hearts, but Satan is always present. You know this. Whenever the word goes out, he's always present to try to steal the word. There's spiritual warfare going on whenever you share the gospel message. Always remember that. Uh, the parable of the soils in Luke chapter 8, verses 11 to 12, I don't have time to read that, but we'll just say this. The first soil is the, the word is sown. And Satan comes and steals the word. There's always spiritual warfare occurring when the word is preached. The wicked one comes and snatches away the word. You must have ears that are attentive. You must have hearts that are prepared. And that is a work of God in people, folks. That is a work of God. When he opens your eyes, he softens your heart and makes you attentive to the word of God. That is God's miracle. Look, at the normal Christian life is having been born again through the Word of God and then sharing this Word with the people that we come in contact with. We're carusos. We're heralding truth to a culture that is devoid of truth. Devoid of truth. And finally, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the normal Christian life. Okay, I want to emphasize this. The normal Christian life is the old you shrinking and the new you growing, and this change is expected, is an expected change. Remember uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. This is an expected change. Verses 1 through 3, therefore, after we what, what's it there for? He's talking about the pure life, uh, obeying the truth, being born again. Therefore, laying aside all malice. Now watch the alls. Watch the alls here. It doesn't say some malice. It says all malice, all deceit, and the implication is all hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, if is usually 
We usually look at that as conditional, but this is, a, this is the first class condition. This means if and it is so, or since. You could put since in there. Since you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, remember, the normal Christian life, the new you growing is, is expected. It is not the exception. It, we must lay aside, what does it say here? We must lay aside the old man and feed on the word to grow. This is a volitional thing. This is sanctification. This is past justification. This is sanctification. This is our growth process. Justified is when you believe Jesus died for your sins and Christ's righteousness was credited to you. Now you're living this Christian life out. And this is expected. The old man wants to fight. He died, but he still wants to resurrect and fight. So the old man, you must know that he is shrinking, and you must lay him aside, cast him off, put him away. And all malice, that's all wickedness, all deceit. You know what deceit is? Two-faced. Two-faced. I'm acting one way with this group and another way with this group. That has to all be cast away. Hypocrisy, mask wearer, an actor. All envy, that's hidden resentment against others. And it permeates everything. Permeates churches, it permeated the disciples, the 12 disciples. They're fighting with one another who's going to be the greatest. Just before Jesus is going to the cross. They're having a fight. I want to be the greatest. I want to be the greatest. Can I sit on your right hand? I mean, it, this envy just permeates our whole culture. All evil speaking, that's backstabbing, rumors, gossip. What are we to do with our old man? Lay him aside, cast him off, put him away. And the new man, we, we must grow. Take in, how? How does the new man grow? Take in the milk of the word, the nourishment that is necessary to grow. And it is essential to know that the Lord is gracious and that you are changing. And I'll tell you what, you know when you're growing. When you live out Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Remember what it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. Run with endurance the race set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's the new you. Looking unto Jesus, casting off this old stuff. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured, endured the cross, despising its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. We all have a mission. And we want to hear one day, mission accomplished. Put your name in there as you're standing before Jesus Christ. And he, don't you want to hear this? Well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, that, those are great words. Remember, the goal for your life is maturity. Not happy, happy, happy. Not happy, happy, happy. Joy. We have the joy of the Lord. But this thing of happy, happy, happy. Oh, don't you want me to be happy, happy, happy? And let me live in my sin. Don't you want me to be able to be happy with this person or happy with this situation and it's not of God? No, I don't. No, I don't. The goal of your life is maturity. It only happens when we look onto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Our model is the Lord Jesus himself. That's who we look to. We don't look at humans. We look at the Lord Jesus. That's who we look to. Our model is the Lord Jesus, okay? The normal Christian life, listen to this, is born again, spirit-filled, 
loving the brethren, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And notice that word, the fin- author and finisher. He began it, he will finish it. He will begin and he will finish it, becoming more like Christ and less like me. My old man must die, the new me flourishing. It can only flourish if you're doing this thing in the power of the Spirit. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it by wishing and hoping and thinking and pretend praying. It only happens when you are filled with the Spirit of God that you can walk this thing out. In conclusion, the normal Christian life is to obey the truth and love the brethren. Peter tells us this, if we're going on to maturity, we have to discard the old stuff, lay aside the old stuff, and grow up and put on the new stuff, the new you. I want you to think about it. There's a couple areas in Scripture that talk about laying aside or, or casting aside. We've gone to Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 through 17, that the old man, we're to put off the old man. But Ephesians chapter 4 has something very similar, which I'll share with you today. It is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. But you have not learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. Two qualifications, you have to hear about him, be taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And that you, once you've heard and once you've been taught, you are to do this. Put off. That is a willing act. That is a volitional act. You are to put off the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. Look, if you're not in this battle, what's going to happen to your old man? He's going to grow in deceitful lust. But be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We must put off the old man and put on the new. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we do this. Now, some questions. What are some of the things that, that your old nature, that you should lay aside? What are some of the things of your old nature that you should lay aside? Only you can answer that question. But allow the Spirit of God to permeate your heart. Get serious with Him. This is a serious time. This is not time to be a, a toe-in Christian. I have a little, ooh, little Christianity in a whole lot of world. This is not that time, folks. The lines are being drawn, and being drawn very, very sharply. Very sharply. Are you dealing with anger, wrath, filthy language, idols? Worry. How about worry? That's a, that's a good one. How about flesh forays? I'm a Christian, but I want to take these flesh forays. No, that's the old man. Anxiety, out of control, whatever. You fill in the blank. Lay aside and cast it off. That is the responsibility of the Christian, and again, can only happen when we have the Spirit of God predominant. What are some of the things that the new nature you would like to put on? Now, what's the new nature? Kindness, humility, patience. Here's a big one. Bearing with one another. That's, we've said this before, putting up with one another. It's the marriage ceremony to have and to hold from this day forward forever. You're making a commitment to put up with one another. As Christians, we are to do that. Forgiving, not holding a grudge. That's a big one. And then how about this? Really trusting God. 
How about putting, that's the new man. I'm going to really trust him through this. Walking in the Spirit. These are great things to put on. But the only way that you can put these on is by abiding in Christ, abiding in his word. You know what that word abide means? To dwell in. Remember, it's menno, to dwell, to remain in. That's a continual thing. It's not just a one-time thing. Once a week we're doing this. It's a continual thing. Being filled with the Spirit of God. Look at, hear this. Putting off the old and putting on the new is not automatic. Anything of value takes work. It takes discipline. It takes time with God. How can you really put off the old and put on the new and live the normal Christian life? The normal Christian life? Really loving? Well, I'll give you one verse that might help you with this. Colossians 3, 16-17 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know what that word richly is? Copious. Overflowing. Abundantly. Not just cursory. You want to live this out successfully. That is an essential. Richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and singing. That's what happens when you spend time with Jesus. It's automatic. Singing. Hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And then this verse, and this word, verse 17. And whatever you do. Now, what is that? That's your whole life. Whatever you do in word, what you speak, or in deed, carrying out your actions in life, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that something? That's your whole life. Jesus Christ is permeating every part of your being. It's not toe-in Christianity. It is all in. I am immersed. You want to live successfully, that's the only way to do it. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. These are great words to help you obey and love and live the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life, I submit to you this, it's the most exciting, gratifying, amazing adventure that you can ever have. It is. There's going to be bumps. There's going to be potholes. There's going to be fissures along the way. There's going to be difficulties. But there is nothing like going through life's journey, nothing like holding on to the hand of Jesus and say, let's go, Lord. Or actually, he's saying us. We're yoked to him, and we'll go with him. And put off the old and put on the new. The normal Christian life is this. Obey God and love the brethren. That is normal. It's normal. It's expected. God saves you to change you. This isn't super-duper Christianity. This is normal Christianity according to the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your Word. Thank you, Lord, that you've, Lord Jesus, that you sent the Holy Spirit that allows us to actually live this out. If we yield to the Spirit's control, we can, through your power, overcome the things of our flesh. The old man can be put away. It says in Romans 6, 6 that that guy died. That guy died. When, when, when Jesus died, he died at the cross. But Lord, we need to continually put him away. Put him to death. Don't allow him to be the one that dominates our lives. And Lord, I pray for each person in here to be serious. That the Spirit of God will speak to each person in here right now in their area of need. And the changes that need to be made They'll make an agreement with you that, yes, I'm going in that way. I'm going towards you, Lord. I've done it my way long enough. I'm tired of it. 
Lord, I pray right now through the power of your spirit that you will elicit the change in each person that needs to be changed. So many of us hold on to one little thing. I'm good enough. Lord, you want all of us. May we dedicate our whole being to you. Again, thank you for your word here today. Thank you for the life of Peter. Thank you for the things that you are teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen.